if you're like me, you want to get your business ahead, but there's certain skills you need, but you just don't have. If this sounds like you, then you need to head over to Fiverr. They have a whole array of professionals that can help you in different areas from design to writing, marketing, and more. They have you covered. I seriously can't tell you how much Fiverr.com has helped me along with this podcast. Um, I've used them so much for this podcast. It's been unreal. They make my flyers. They go ahead and um, I hire this guy to help me upload the each episode and in the beginning in order for me to be all over the place it was I was totally going to Fiverr it was I seriously just it's I've gotten so much for my business through them so please use my link which you can find in the description of this episode or you can go to MarcellaAlonzo.com and book there through Fiverr today you'll be glad you did Hello and welcome to Sunday Funday with Marcel Alonzo. Today I am so happy to have, I'm a big fan of his. Um, he has an absolutely wonderful YouTube. Ty Rivera, so nice to have you on. I I think I'm probably like, I'm just very excited because before I have every guest on Ty, I'm always researching. And when I first found you and then I found your YouTube, I was like stuck and glued. And <laughs> you're you're you really got me engaged, entertained, and I love what the what you're sharing because it's a lot of the way I personally feel. Um, and I'm so glad to have you as a guest. Thank so. you. No, I appreciate you having me. Do you have something that you call your listeners or your followers? Is there like a nickname for them or are they just? No, I don't, I don't particularly call them. I'm just like, uh, cause usually it's like, you know, I'm a person, I call myself like a chuckle fucker. I love comedy. I never like music. Um, <laughs> I was a stripper for a little bit about me. So, you know, Ty beforehand, cause I know all about you. I was a stripper for many years and yeah. on when I would not be dancing, I would go to like a comedy club. And that was my source of enjoyment. And certain songs I listened to or hear on the radio, um, because I did work in nude clubs, would bring me this horrible PTS um, D. And I, you know what I mean? I could never eat a roast beef sandwich. So I love yeah. comedy for that reason. And um, I enjoy comics everywhere. But I want to know more about you. How did you get into comedy? When did it first start? Because um, I just know this later part of you. And I've been yeah. I loved comedy when I was a kid. So, you know, when I was a kid, that's when the 80s boom was happening with comedy. So it was like Roseanne Barr, Bobcat Goldweight, uh, who else was, you know, Louis Anderson, George Carlin, obviously, you know, it was like I grew up during that time, you know, that's when I was a kid and I was a young kid and I was really into stand up, but I lived in a town called Casa Grande, Arizona. And so in my head, like being a stand up wasn't even an option because I was like, how do you make it from here to being on TV? Because that's I didn't realize how stand up worked and people were all over the country. I just thought of them as being on TV. And so I forgot about that. And then years later, I uh, could make my friends laugh till they couldn't breathe. And one time I was sitting with my ex and I told him, I was like, I could do that. And because uh, we were watching Ellen DeGeneres here and now was what we were watching. Mm -hmm. And he was like, I know you could. 
And then a couple weeks later, I saw an advertisement or a story in a magazine called The New Times. And uh, at the end of the story, it said that the person who had written that story, it was a movie review for like Terminator or something, uh, or Terminator 3, I think. And it said that the review was written by a stand-up comedian that ran an open mic at a place called The Sets in Tempe, Arizona. And I was in Phoenix at that time, which is, you know, Tempe and Phoenix are basically Phoenix metro area, so same area. And uh, I made it a point to go down there to the open mic. I didn't tell anybody I was doing it. I went ahead and did it. And then it was just from there, just continue to do it. Wow. Oh, that's good. And the first time, how did you feel going up on stage? Was it, were you unprepared or? I thought I was fully prepared. Uh-huh. I had really written stuff down word for word. And I knew exactly what I was going to say. What I couldn't prepare myself for was the stage fright. So when it came to the stage fright and I had written because I was like, maybe I'll forget some of my stuff. And so I had written bullet points on my hand. And uh, while I was sitting there, I was so nervous that I was rubbing my hands on my jeans. So when I got on stage, I, of course, forgot everything because I was so nervous. And then I went to look at my hand and everything had rubbed off my hand. And this is happening on stage. And then I looked closer, like, because I couldn't believe it. And the audience started laughing so hard at that. And uh, I was able to remember, like, maybe two or three things. I was supposed to do five minutes. I'd be surprised if I did two and a half. But people did laugh at the stuff I did say. And I was like, yeah, I can do this. I just need to work through this stage fright. You know, like, that's my thinking in my head. And so, yeah, that that's what happened. I wasn't able, there wasn't enough stuff in Phoenix at that time, though, like as far as open mics and things you could really do for me to grow the way that I needed to grow. So I almost immediately went to L.A. I think within four months of starting comedy, I went to L.A. And how was your experience when you did go to L.A.? I um, I guess my experience was quite a bit different than a lot of people because the first time Jamie Masada from the Laugh Factory ever saw me, he used to sit on sit in on every one of the open mics. And so the first time he ever saw me, he uh, it was technically before I was living in L.A. because I went on a trip just to like see a, get a lay of the land. Right. And I decided to stop in at the Laugh Factory open mic, which was a brutal process at that time. I don't know if it's changed, but you used to get there around 2 p.m., the mic didn't actually start till like seven though. You didn't find, or, and you didn't get to sign up on the list until six. So you had spent four hours basically on the sidewalk before you even got to sign up. And so I, but I really wanted to try doing the laugh factory. And so I did that. And back at that time, Jamie, the owner used to sit in the back booth and he would watch every single one of the open micers. There were, I think, 20 of us that would go up Mm -hmm. or maybe it was 10 uh but you were only doing three minute sets and it had to be completely clean because jamie and laugh factory at that time was more geared towards tv spots and people that wanted to be more like comedians that would be on tv you know Mm. and so i had prepared for it and i did my set i was still really working through the stage fright And so afterwards, the real benefit to doing the Laugh Factory open mic at that time was JV would watch everybody, he'd take notes, and then you'd go upstairs and you'd all line up 
And Jamie would sit with you for a second and he'd tell you what he thought of your set. He would critique you and he'd tell you also what he wanted to see from you moving forward, that kind of thing. So when it was time for me to meet with Jamie, I walked over to talk to him and then he was like, I think you're a really great writer. I can tell how green you are, though. Uh, You obviously need a lot of stage time. He was like, where do you live? And I told him, I live in Phoenix, Arizona. And then he was like, do you plan to move to L.A.? And I said, yes, I do plan to move to L.A. I was thinking about moving here within the next couple of months. And he was like, move to L.A. as soon as possible. Stage time, stage time, stage time. I need you to get up as much as you possibly can. And I'll see you in four weeks. And so that was like the standard at the time. If he thought you were at least okay, he'd tell you he'd see you in four weeks. And then you could go back to the mic in four weeks. So Jamie was very hands-on with me from the time that I even, like I said, was just visiting LA. And so I had that going for me. And I don't really do things the way that Jamie would probably want me to do them at this point. And I am a Laugh Factory regular. I'm a paid regular at the Laugh Factory. So at this point, I've kind of deviated from what Jamie would probably want from me. But I still feel like everything he told me was very important. And I can't express how grateful I am to Jamie Masada for the approach that he took with me when I first started. Yeah, and that's great with his honesty and his feedback. Oh, yeah. And like that continued because with Jamie, every time I would go see him, he would give me really detailed critique of what he thought I needed to be doing. And it took me two years to become a Laugh Factory regular. And there was a break in between where I didn't go to Laugh Factory because I felt like I just needed to grow on my own and get better at what I was doing and lose the stage fright. But once I got in the process of showcasing for Jamie, it was two years. And every time I'd go in, he would be very detailed with me and be like, this is what I want to see from you. This is what I want you to work on. Talk more about this. Do a little bit more about that. He'd even talk to me about the way I would dress at certain points. You know, he's like, you got to look more professional than you're looking right now. Cause you know, you're an open micer. So sometimes you run in looking like you just got, you know, dragged in by a cat or something because <laughs> you've been running around you know and he would yeah. let me know that's not acceptable you know you got you got to do better wow that that's that, that sounds like that training was that made you who you are today that's very oh good. yeah I'm yeah. super thankful for it I'm super thankful for it I and you know me and Jamie have had a full relationship as far as being you know friends or uh mentor mentee type situation so there have been times where I've yelled at him. There have been times where we've gotten mad at each other, but <laughs> I'm still very grateful for him. And our relationship as it stands now is great. Like if I were to see him, it'd be big hug. And, you know, we're, we're like that now where it's just like, and, you know, he accepts that I've grown into what I've grown into and I'm still welcomed at all of his clubs and he still pays me to do shows when I'm around. I'm just not in LA anymore. So, you know, I can't do them. Right. No, a lot of people have, I was living in LA for 10 years and, but I went back to New York. So a lot, a lot of people, it's like a ghost town over there now. Oh it's, yeah. Well, I'm in Austin now. So. And how is, um, now I, cause I really, really followed you. You went to Vegas and then you went to Austin. Yeah. Um, yeah. And how is now Austin? Cause I have a good friend of mine, Aaliyah Janine. She's moving actually next month to Austin like and she's a New York comic just she's she's like over it. how has Austin been treating you and how I have yet to really talk to anybody that lives there so I've interviewed so you're my first 
I am having a mutual love affair with Austin. The city of Austin loves me, and I love the city of Austin. Everybody here puts me up all the time. I do so many shows. Almost everything that I do pays here. It's very rare that I'll do anything that's unpaid. And not everything. I'm not going to lie to you and be like, everything's paying a lot. It's the streets right, are right, made right. of gold. Do you know what I mean? But you're getting paid for everything you do, which, you know, the L.A. system is a lot of times you pay or you don't get paid and you have to buy something from the venue you're performing at, you know. So it's it's like a lot different here. Um, but like as far as the comedy goes, what I like about the comedy here and what I like about the comedy audiences here in Austin is they'll let you say anything as long as you have a point. Mm, so not so much of that censorship. Yeah, but like the good thing about it is it's also just not a free for all. So if you're saying, you know, buzzwords just to be edgy, the audience here is going to see through that and they're not going to go for it. But if you have a point and you have punchlines, the audience is open to you saying anything you want to. There aren't limits as far as, you know, I'm a feminist, so you can't say this. I'm trans, so you can't say this. I'm gay, so you can't say it doesn't work like that here. Nobody, nobody cares about that here. You can try to say it if you want. You can try to voice it as a complaint, but you're just going to get drowned out because people are going to be like, yeah, that was funny. Mm, more, more freedom. And I know what you're talking about because I was recently at the stand and the audience was kind of boo, 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 <laughs> like that <laughs> over a guy saying something. But what got me, the thing that they laughed at, the guy, the comic said, and every time I've seen this comic, I really don't, he's, I'm, He's he's mediocre. I'll give him that. He's not. Uh, what did he say? And then I was offended. He was saying something about a Indian woman being he rather date Indian woman over Spanish uh, Latin woman because they're way smarter. And I'm like, everybody else had an issue with everything else he said. But this is what he you know what I'm saying? I was like, yeah, like yeah. And, and they're all you know, they're all I'm going to say they were all white people in the audience. And and I'm yeah. like, why is this not an issue? But everything else he was saying was an issue. And it was kind of, you know, it, it, it was a whole bunch of, it was a predominantly a white millennial audience raised off, I call it, a, you know, Dunkadoos. They probably, that's all they ate, you know, growing up. I'm Generation X. Um, and I, it was just like weird. I'm like, what the hell? Like he, and he was good. You know what I'm saying? So it's, it's, I see how, the censorship and depending on where the audience, especially with the bigger cities like New York. Yeah, Atlanta. well, you know, I'm Gen X too, but if you ask TikTok, I'm a boomer. <laughs> <laughs> I Gen X and, and things have just gotten weird because when I first landed is when I discovered the pronouns and I was like, huh? Huh? What? Huh? And it was like, they were like, oh, what's your pronouns? And I'm like, oh my, what? Like it was, I was like, what do you mean? I'm a, I'm a female. Like, it was it was something new and this was just in 2019 and then i remember i got canceled for uh somebody that was changing their pronouns one minute they're they one minute they're he one minute they're she one minute they're this and all of a sudden i'm being called homophobic because i don't remember their pronouns for that day like i don't remember even what i ate sometimes that day let alone somebody's freaking pronouns yeah, I've been very clear with people. I'm not doing the pronoun thing. Yeah, I, you know, you're a she or a her, a he or a him. And outside of that, 
uh, that's not my business. Yeah. I, if you're if you're anything complicated, I choose not to deal with you. I choose not to deal yeah. with you. And that's I don't. I don't hate you. I don't dislike you. Right. I just I'm not going to go through that with you. I don't go through that with anybody in my life. I, I'm a very even though some people might think that I'm different from my internet presence, I'm a very uncomplicated person. It's very simple with me. And that's the way I like it. And I don't want it any different. And so if people say that, you know, I don't want to move with the times or I don't want to change, I move fine with the times. Trans people, I've always been cool with trans people. Some of my best friends for the last 30 years have been trans people. So when I'm now told that I'm being transphobic because I don't really think non-binary is a thing, mm-hmm. fine. Yeah. Then consider me transphobic. I don't yeah. care. Yeah. I, I, like that word means nothing to me. I've been canceled at least five times and none of them have been effective. I've just gotten better at dealing with being canceled yeah. as far as the way that I handle it. There was They tried to cancel me in Las Vegas at one point after the pandemic or, well, during Shmovid, um, they tried to cancel me and I was just so good at dealing with it. And the people that follow me are so down with what I do that the people that were trying to cancel me got trolled to a point where they just couldn't handle it anymore and they just let it go. Right. Well, now your videos on YouTube, I think everybody needs to go to it because you're actually hearing from somebody in the LGBTQ community. You get what I'm saying? I'm a heterosexual woman. I can't speak for, and I realize that. And too many people that don't, have not grown up, you know, being gay or, you know, they don't know really what it's like. Because nowadays things are just totally, you know what I mean? Oh, you can't say that you have to be, you're getting schooled for an unnecessary stuff. So doing comedy is just getting like impossible for a majority of comedians. It's Well, that's where I don't think, or that's where I think that the community or the activists more specifically are really dropping the ball because they're making it so complicated for people that people don't want to deal with it. Mm -hmm. People would rather not open themselves up to meeting trans or LGBT people in general because they feel like there's too many landmines and they feel like they're not going to be able to, that eventually they're going to get in trouble anyway. And for a person like me, for a person like you, there's a lot less of a consequence because of what we do for work. If you're Mm -hmm. doing stand-up, if you're doing podcasting, we're allowed to think and speak a lot more freely than a person that's working a corporate job. A person that's working a corporate job does actually have to worry about somebody thinking that they're transphobic or homophobic or whatever the newest thing is and getting fired from their job and not being able to provide for their families. So rather than opening people up, what it's doing is making people shut down because people get like, okay, well, then I guess I probably shouldn't talk to these people altogether because I might say the wrong thing and I don't want to lose my livelihood over it. Yeah, no, exactly. And we're, we're in a position that we're free, we're free to speak, we're free Mm -hmm. to be free. And it's a wonderful feeling. I want to talk about touring with you, because I love the fact when you talk about uh, you tour these redneck towns. Yeah. And I as a producer, this is my little dream, and I should manifest. I as a producer one day, I would love to document this and tour and follow you and see this because um, 
it's, it's, you talk about this and you actually have wonderful experience. So can you share more about this? Because I'm always fascinated when you talk about when you travel um, and to all these places that I couldn't imagine going, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, uh, I'll, uh, I have a joke, which I don't usually do jokes or whatever, but it just, it's a, it's a really simple way for me to put it of how I started doing uh, the redneck clubs, because I do perform specifically in redneck clubs most of the time. And uh, the, the little bit, it's just a little bit goes uh, straight clubs. When I first started doing comedy, gay clubs were afraid to have me because they thought I would offend their audiences. Regular mainstream clubs thought their audience wouldn't be able to relate to me. And the redneck clubs were like, well, if he can survive it, we'll pay him at the end. And that is literally how I started doing stand up in redneck clubs was everybody else was kind of afraid to have me. And the redneck clubs literally were like, yeah, if you know, if you can survive it and nobody's gonna uh, and it doesn't turn into a security issue then we'll go ahead and have you. And I started stand-up in 2003. I probably got on the road in about 2007, 2008. Mm -hmm. So even if you go back that far, people's attitudes towards gay were a lot different. And Mm -hmm. I had to accept that I was somewhat of a security risk. And so when I first started doing stand-up in the redneck clubs, even I was worried about it. And I would think these audiences, this audience is going to kill me. These people are going to hate me. And I would just go out there and do my thing. And like right away, people started being really nice to me at these shows. Like the rednecks were really cool with me. Back then I used to drink. So sometimes I would party with them after the shows. And <laughs> it was just like, you know, and they were always super nice. They didn't really care. What I found was that a lot of them just had never met a gay person or a gay person that was open as I was, because obviously there's gay people everywhere you go. Mm -hmm. But if you think about the way gay used to be back then, it was usually like a guy or a girl that had a roommate and it was very much the whatever happens behind closed doors mentality. So don't ask, don't tell mentality, even in the regular world. And so that was the extent that people knew gay people was more where it's like, I have a feeling the guy that cuts my hair is gay, but they Mm -hmm. didn't actually know like now where people are just open with it. Mm -hmm. And so I had to do a lot of educating. And that's one of the main reasons that I don't listen to the activists or I don't listen to any of the people that try to tell me what it is I should and shouldn't say is because I've been educating people that really should hate me through standup for my entire career now. And it really has been educating because I will do jokes on stage. I'll be um, funny and charm these people on stage. And then after I get off stage, people will come up to me to meet me. And in a lot of cases, they'll ask me questions. And sometimes it's questions as basic as what's the difference between a drag queen and a transgender person Mm -hmm. or, you know, things like that. And then after, like I said, when I'm talking to them person to person, that's when I have a chance to be more serious with them. And actually, if they ask me a sincere question, even if it's a question that I've answered a million times before, if Mm -hmm. I feel like this person is being genuine, sincere and asking me this question, I'm going to answer it as sincerely as I possibly can so that hopefully they get a better idea of what LGBT is. And then they've had at least one positive interaction 
with an LGBT person, which would be me at that point. And then maybe they're less likely to discriminate or be hateful towards an LGBT person that they see just out in the regular world. Right. And you're, yeah, you're, you're, you're publicly educating people through your standup and you're publicly, publicly um, educating people also through your YouTube. And I think it's great. Yeah. Your YouTube is fantastic. And, but your captions though, like you have, you are, you are a smart one with those captions, man. If anybody needs to take, take lessons on being a great YouTuber, it's from (laughs) you because I'm like, and then I watch the video and I'm like, this is a great valid point. And I'm like slipping it in certain deep, because I live close to, well, I'm right now in Sunnyside, but I was in Brooklyn before and Bushwick is filled with them. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And uh, that whole area, which is crazy. Um, let me tell you a little bit about Bushwick, what they did, because there's a re- lot of far um, left liberals and they're probably going to get mad or come for me, but they didn't seem to have a problem with the gentrification with all the Puerto Ricans getting kicked out. I'm half Puerto Rican. My mother's Puerto Rican. My grandmother was born in Puerto Rico. I have Tahino roots. They sure don't have that issue with gentrifying and kicking out other races out to go live in their little area, but they're sure quick to tell you, you know, uh, defend uh, Dylan Mulvaney or say you were cis, uh, you were, you know what I mean? With the, bring the pronouns, but they don't have a problem with kicking out the Puerto Ricans. And, you know, I, I was bringing up it to this woman one time, you know, who's I'm a liberal. And I was saying, listen, you know, um, a lot of trans people don't like Dylan Mulvaney. Oh, you can't say that. That's homophobic. No, like, Listen, and I have two from my other podcasts. Um, I did a Pride Month and I gave uh, four people, two, three, three trans people. One, um, my gay friend, he was on it for the first episode and I let them be the voice and I let mm-hmm. them speak. And but nobody wants to listen to the, you know, a black or uh, the other person I had uh, was a Hispanic woman. She's Mexican descent. Also, she's from Arizona. Um, she's a trans woman, Jesse Dubai. Nobody wanted to listen to them. You know what I'm saying? They want to just preach to you and, you know, and tell you what they think. And that, that's what the issue is because before people need to make judgment, they need to listen to the LBGQ community and they need to listen to people that grew up and they knew they were, you know, knew they were gay from a long time. Not all of a sudden it popped up. Oh, let me all of a sudden, you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, what you're mentioning right now, there's two points you brought up that I really, really at least want to touch on. The first one is the gentrification situation because we had that same thing in LA and it used to piss me off to no end that these white kids would write these blogs at the time about the evils of gentrification while they were living in Echo Park, Silver Lake, or Los Feliz in LA, which Mm -hmm. were all areas that Latinos, Mexican-Americans in Mm -hmm. a lot of cases had been pushed out of. They could Mm -hmm. no longer afford to live in their own neighborhoods. You are gentrification and you're writing this entire blog about how evil gentrification is. So yeah, that I definitely do agree on. Second thing I want to talk about is not too long ago, I made uh, just a short clip called I Think the New Gay Pride Flag is Ugly, which is the new flag where they added the trans colors and then they added, you know, rather than just the traditional rainbow that we used to have, Mm -hmm. they added the brown and the black. 
And I really had a problem with them adding the brown and the black because the brown and the black was meant to, meant to represent brown people and black people so that we feel included. Well, instead of trying to make us feel included by making that flag uglier and adding a brown and a black to a rainbow, which makes really no sense at all and doesn't even look good just aesthetically, instead of that, why don't you try listening to us? Why yes. don't you try actually letting us have a say? Why don't you try letting us actually speak for ourselves? Why is it I have to have a white representative speak for me when it comes to issues of LGBT? How about you let me tell you how it is? How about you try to understand that maybe one of the reasons that I'm so open to different people thinking different ways and I'm better about like actually accepting the way that people talk and working around that because if you try to tell a black or a Latino grandmother what they're going to say and how they're going to say it, you're oh. going to get told to fuck oh, off. Oh, yes, yes, yes. You are exactly right. Yeah, don't go like uh, I think it's Ada Rodriguez, who I actually saw yesterday. She says, don't cancel Wella. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's just yeah. not going to happen, you know. Mm -hmm. And so it's like that's why a lot of times brown and black people when it comes to LGBT are more willing to be like, no, maybe we should like take that into account or maybe look a little bit more into what they're saying and why it is they're saying. And it's because we don't have a choice in a lot of cases. And when I say that, I don't think it's a bad thing to not have a choice in that case. I think more of the white kids need that as well, right. where they have people in their lives that are like, no, the whole world doesn't revolve around you. And yeah. we don't completely change the way we talk because you have feelings. We yeah. all have feelings. And if you're a healthy person, you bury some of those feelings. <laughs> you don't just go with No, you're right. You do. You have to. Uh, you have to bury some of those feelings and, and you have to overcome stuff. You can't sit there. Um, one of the other points that I love that you you said you said like uh, with a lot of activists, they're telling them, oh, you should just kill yourself. You should. Everybody needs to accept you. And what you said, I like it. What you said in one of your videos, you said, no. You need to be fuck them, forget everybody. And and I that was excellent what you said. No, you need to, and that's how it needs to be. And um, that's getting kind of lost now, you know. Well, you need to love yourself enough that other people don't matter. Right. And it might take you a while to get there, but that's something that you just have to train your mind to do. The same way that you're training your mind to learn different pronouns. If you want to spend your time doing that, I have no problem with you spending your time doing that. But also spend your time training your mind to be like, okay, these are the things I would like in life. Here's my wish list mm -hmm. that the world may not live up to because you never can predict what the world is going to do. But what you can do is work on the person you are and train your mind to not worry about those things. When I was younger, certain things people said used to bother me. But now I've trained my mind to where it's like, I don't care what you think about me. I care what I know about me. So you're right. welcome to think anything you want about me. You don't have to like me. You don't have to like the way I look. You don't have to like the piercings that I have. You can talk shit about the plastic surgery I've had done. You know, I mean, like, I don't care about what people think about me. And especially having been on social media this long, because right. my YouTube just recently started to get real traction. But before this, you know, I was still recording content. I was still on Facebook. I was still on Twitter. And I had to listen to everybody's opinions all the time or see the things that they would type in the comments. And over time, I just got to a point where I was like, it, it really 
even though like you know at different points people were trying to hurt my feelings and stuff mm-hmm. like that it really did help me in a lot of ways to become more self-aware and also to become more self-accepting mm. that's interesting yeah because rather than internalize it at a point I just started getting like in my head my mentality was like yeah and <laughs> you know it's like it. doesn't matter I still love me you know there yeah. I still have people around me that love me everyone's like I feel like that's one thing that people do sometimes that are like on the internet a lot is they mi- mistake that for being actual reality mm-hmm. and I can see how sometimes people will unalive themselves which I don't know if you know like you worry about language at all but sometimes no um go right ahead say whatever you've got to say here yeah yeah okay because sometimes YouTube or oh yeah yeah no I I what I do is I shorten up for YouTube and then I make little clips and then because I'm trying to just get the downloads on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, so say say whatever because that's where my main thing is just getting the the downloads like that good to know yeah yeah. good to know because yeah the the word suicide they'll you know demonetize your stuff if you're using the word suicide but that even bothers me because I feel like it's such an important thing and I feel like it's such a huge topic right now. And I I feel like them taking away the word is really doing us a disservice. We should be able to talk about suicide openly. Yes. And, um, you know, especially because there's some people that really need to hear this kind of stuff. But when it comes to that kind of stuff, when it comes to suicide specifically, rather than tell people like, you know, that if you're not accepting of LGBT or more specifically trans people, that they're likely to commit suicide or what the odds are on that or the the statistics are on that. Instead, why don't you tell young LGBT people to completely take suicide off the table? Just, and it's, it's not that easy because sometimes people get mad at me for saying it like that. And they're like, it's not that easy. You don't understand depression. You're talking to a person that used to be suicidal. When I was younger, I was suicidal. And literally, that's what I did was I trained my mind. And I talk about it on stage sometimes. And some people find it very helpful because I just repeated it over and over and over in my head like a mantra. Because when you're having those thoughts, they're also just constantly running in your head when you're having suicidal ideation. So to overrun those thoughts, I would just completely tell myself all the time, like for as long as I needed to say it, you know, in my head, I'd just be like, suicide is not an option. Suicide is not an option. Suicide is not an option. And so eventually you just train your mind, you know, and the joke that I tell about it is (laughs) it's (laughs) like any other mantra. Eventually you'll come up with a solution, you know, so I'd be like, suicide is not an option. Suicide is not an option. Murder is the way to go. You know? <laughs> Murder is the way. Why would I take it out on me? What did I do? You know? yeah. <laughs> oh my god! Oh, I, that, I love that joke that you said about the the mace. <laughs> There's another one. I love that too. Like, it makes me think of yeah, the stories of my life. <laughs> <laughs> so you pull a lot a- of you pull a lot of material. I've noticed um, the little bit that I found on the internet, and I've been like. I uh, I need a special. I need a special from you. They're like I'm, I need. You know what I'm saying? Um, because you're good. Yeah. I I need to see you. Um, as a fan, I need to see some sort of something big. Um, present. But I uh, I do notice that you pull a lot of stuff from you, and I could tell. 
uh, and it's good. It's good stuff that what you pull. Like, Thank you. I ha- I've had a crazy life and I'm not going to pretend it hasn't be- been and I don't ever pretend to be normal. I tell right. you, I think that's part of the reason people are so accepting of me like audiences because I never pretend to be normal. I'm never like, oh, everybody should be like me. You know, yeah, I know right. that my life has been kind of out there, but I also know that even though I may be one package that carries a lot of crazy there are a lot of different audience members that may not relate to the whole package, but there's definitely parts of it they relate to. So that's how I get the whole audience on my side is because people will be like, I don't relate at all to this. And then I'll say something a second later and they'll be like that part though, (laughs) that part I relate to, you know? And so it's like, you know, cause I've been through everything with relationships, you know, on that particular joke that you're talking about, I talk about, how I had been dating a white supremacist, but oh, I'm pretty okay, I brown, so I feel like he had changed, you know? And yeah, and that was one of my first boyfriends. His name was Frank, and he was really beautiful, and he was built like a He-Man character. But, you know, like, we got into it, you know? Everyone's <laughs> involved, I ended up in these relationships. I, like, you know, that's one thing that I do think, because there are good things about where we're at as LGBT people, is like now that we're this far into it and it's become this open, there are people out there that are modeling more healthy relationships when it comes to LGBT. Mm-hmm. Like when I was coming up, you really didn't even talk to your family about your relationships for the most part. And you didn't have anybody showing you what a healthy relationship could look like. So you really just were on your own. And in a lot of cases, dealing with the most unhealthy and the most toxic situations. And because of the way that the, uh, the community was set up at that time and the way that people had kind of uh, handled gay and LGBT, like it was somewhat predatory even being out as a, especially when I came out, you know, cause I was like 16, I think when I came out mm-hmm. uh, and my first boyfriend was 24 and that was completely normal to everybody. Then after that, you know, everybody in the LGBT community at that time, nobody saw that as like a, a thing or a problem at all. Um, you know, and as far as the legality of it, there's that. But yeah. then just when it comes to a 16-year-old dating a 24-year-old, 24-year-olds have different problems than 16-year-olds. Yeah. So, and then when you, like, you know, so then when I moved on to him, moved on from him, and then I was dating a 28-year-old and a 40-year-old, and, you know, like, and these are the people that are, dating me and influences me and in some cases taking advantage of me and I don't mean that like for me in particular and I'm not speaking for anybody else but for me I don't have any kind of where I feel like when it comes to the sexual part of the relationships like I feel like I was um I want to do anything about that or I I like you know that kind of thing i'm talking about the dynamics of like the way a person a four-year-old will fuck up your head when you're a 16 year old that's oh, yeah. what i'm talking yeah about. yeah and older and you're right it is kind of predatory and it's kind of good now that 
some parents know if their son or daughter is gay, you know, like they can be more open and discuss it versus in the old times. Cause in our times, I should say, um, I, re- I have a friend of mine. Um, I'll say she, cause I, uh, I grew up with them when they were a boy and I remember mm-hmm. they were 17 years old and they had eyeliner. I knew I probably had to be about nine or 10, I knew they were a woman. Um, she was a woman. I'm going to say she just keep it pronouns as she. Um, and there was that difficult time where she was, you know, she wanted to transition. She was 17 years old and it was like a, a family event because this was a family friend. And I witnessed the humiliation that the stepfather gave to her. And mm-hmm. again, at the time she was 17 years old, almost 18, almost adult and just had eyeliner and the humiliation she went through. And um, she couldn't really talk to anybody about transitioning. And, you know, because again, this was the early nineties, you know, all the stuff, like I know about the silicone and, you know, the, the harmful stuff with, she went through that. Thank God she's still alive to this day, but uh, there was nobody, the parents, because of that period of time, this had to be over like 30 years ago. Um, they had a very difficult time. You know what I mean? And nobody oh, yeah. could really go through and it. It's sad. And so it's good things are open, but then people are going a little bit too crazy. A little bit. Yeah, well, that's where I feel like the kids really should take advantage of the situation that they're in. And I wish that had been the, the situation when I was younger. You can't yeah. change the past. It is yeah, what it yeah, is. Exactly. But Sometimes when I see like, you know, young kids that are messing around with grown men, I'm like, why aren't you dating other high school kids? Because if that had been an option for me, I definitely would have liked to have a more normal situation where I was like, Mm -hmm. I was 16, I'm dating a 16 year old, you know, not I was 16 dating a 40 year old and a 40 year old is putting his 40 year old problems on you. And Mm. you're thinking that this is somewhat normal and you're not keeping up you know what I mean like you're feeling and they like really do and those type you. of relationships the older one really is more predator you know and they take yeah. advantage and and do some messed up stuff and take away I feel like they also take a little bit of the youth because well that's why I ended up becoming an escort mm-hmm. it really was because I got tired of getting my heart broken by these older men that didn't care about me anyway Right. And then at the end of the relationship, yeah, I have a watch or I have some new clothes because, you know, I was always a whore mentally. <laughs> I was always <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with yeah, that. Yeah, that's what I say. You know what yeah. I mean? I always was getting stuff. And so I was just like, well, why don't I just cut out the relationship part and stop being in love with these people or trying to have any kind of relationship with them and just instead get the money and then I do whatever I want with my free time and the money. And so that's that's literally a part of the reason that I became an escort was because I just got tired of like fooling myself and thinking I was in a relationship with these people and they cared about me. And then at the end of it, I get cheated on. My heart's broken. You know, they're with the next young thing that they found. And I'm glad you also brought up the silicone, too, because that's one thing I've talked about before that people don't really understand. Like sometimes people will talk about me in plastic surgery and they don't even realize that when I was younger, I had silicone injected in my face. And that's before we had the internet. So there was no Google. I was just going on word of mouth and what I was told. And I was told that I could get silicone injected in my face. And if I didn't like it, I could get a cortisone shot. It would dissolve it and it would be gone. 
Little did I know that silicone would turn into a lifelong problem. I oh, would yeah. be one of my the lips. That- my lips have silicone. So I've did it too. I did. You're not the only one. I have silicone in my lips. So I did it too. Yeah. But I, I'm aware of because I've been around the block. Um, and I've had front because it's me stripping. I worked with a lot of trans women as well. And, uh, so I'm aware of everything, the silicone and all that. And I'm personally, I've did the same thing and I didn't know better. You know what I mean? I was told the same thing. And here I am stuck with them. Um, My aunt told me, oh, just get it removed. And I'm like, well, you know, actually, when I put on lip gloss, it looks pretty good. So I just I think I'm going to live with it. You know, that's what I'm going to thank God. I didn't get sick or hurt or whatever. I got kind of lucky. But you know, yeah, I have a friend that's going to need a double mastectomy because of it. She's mm. a trans woman and it like um, she's got really hard like rocks, what feel like rocks inside of her breast. But she's another one that's like similar to you where you say, you know, since the lips look good, like her breasts do look great. It's just mm-hmm. if you feel them, you can feel like, you know, and we're we've been friends forever. So I've definitely felt them before. She'll be like, baby, check this out. You know what I mean? And so, yeah, yes, that's a fucking rock. rock. (laughs) Baby, how dare you call them rocks? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I love, I love the, what you have uh, called yourself the, the absolutely best. Will you do it for me one time? Um, (laughs) Cause I want my editor to, I'm going to tell him, I'm like, look, uh, can you coin this? Because I had Ty Rivera, yeah. who is the absolute, do, do it for me. I love it when you do it. What's up, everybody? This is Ty Rivera here, the absolute best LGBTQ comedian in the world. Oh, I love that when you do that. I love it because, like I said, you're like a master of YouTube. You really are. Like, um, how you. did how did you come up with that phrase as a comedian? Uh, the absolute best LGBTQ comedian in the world. Yeah. Uh, what happened was I originally wanted to just call myself America's favorite fag. Uh, <laughs> like that was that it. was my original. Uh, but and I even own the domain America's favorite fag. <laughs> you know, so if you go to America's favorite fag, it'll take you to my website. I love uh, it. dot com. But YouTube at a point, I think it was like 2015, 2016, mm-hmm. right around then. YouTube made it so if you use the word fag, you would automatically get a strike for oh. hate hate speech. Now it's not like that. Now you can use the word fag again. I still try to use it as, you know, as little as possible because I feel like there might still be a penalty at some point. Right. So I really don't use it too much on my channel. But like, for so for me to say I'm the America's favorite fag would have gotten me flagged. So one day, and I, somewhere I need to dig out the video, and this was like 2018 or whatever. I know I have it somewhere. But one day I was just trying to come up with something to call myself. And so I was going through several different variations of different things. And then at a point, I just said, the absolute best LGBTQ comedian in the world. And then I was oh. like, that's what it'll be. And then from then on, that's what I would It's say. It's very catchy. It fits you perfect. And I... I think it's great. Like, cause I'm, uh, Thank it's, you. it's great. And I just, all my audience, you have to go and check out his YouTube. Um, anybody that's like on the fence about like the rights, gay, um, LGBTQ. I don't even know all that. I don't even know. Like there, there's like a plus now. I don't even know it anymore. Okay. 
They need to listen. LGBTQ plus, or well, it depends on who you ask. But most of us that are actually out will just say LGBT or LGBTQ. That's what most of us say, you know. Uh, But like, there's recently they added the two S for some people, you know. So what if they ask for two S is uh, two spirited? Two, but two spirited. Oh my gosh, it's I don't a, even know what that is. It's a Native American term. Oh, and okay. a lot of Native Americans, like, you know, I discussed that on a video as well, where I said that I think it's uh, it's very culturally insensitive to suddenly dust off the Native Americans who nobody ever pays attention to just mm-hmm. to support your cause. Yeah. You know, and I, I'm from Arizona and we have a high Native population. And the first trans women I ever met when I came out, I've talked about this several times on my channel too, um, or, were two Native American trans women. They were Ashley and Kat. I'm still friends with Ashley to this day. I met her when I was 17 years old. And um, like the, that, you know, so for them to add the 2S, when nobody pays attention to the Native Americans is more than a little insulting. Mm, okay. Yeah, but that's what it is. It's too Okay, I, I just didn't know because some stuff is thrown at me. And then I really, like, I remember in 2019 being at this act, like a meeting. I thought I wanted to be an activist and it was a swap meeting because um, I am myself, a, you know, a sex worker too. I, I still consider it. And I was like, what are the, you know what I mean? So like every day I'm learning my Gen X stuff that is new. And then, but I'm, you know, still things are, I don't agree with stuff or I don't understand that, but I do try educating best from the source. Opposed you to- know, I don't think you're ever not a sex worker, even if you don't do sex work anymore, once you've been a sex worker. Right. I know once a hoe, yeah. always a hoe. Yeah. That's what I feel about it. Yeah. yeah. I have no and, 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 shame and you have about that, it. you have, um, well, I would, because I have two adult daughters now in college yeah. and I feel like I need, and mind you right now, I need the most money I can because, you know, one is over there in uh, where you're at. She's at University of Austin and law school. The other one just started uh, college. Uh, I want to officially quit because it's been too long. Um, luckily, I'm, I feel blessed right now that like stuff is online, but I just want to quit and I want to really go into my passion and it's producing. Um, I don't want to be in front of the camera. I want to be behind the camera and, you know, that's what I know what I want to do in my life. But yeah, I, I still have that mentality. Like what you said, why should I go date and get my heart broken when and what you got to do what you got to do sometimes, you know, and I totally. Yeah. Agree. yeah. No, and I agree 100 percent on moving on. And like, yeah. you know, like we all have to, you know, I, I definitely do. But I just think like we're talking about, the mentality will always be there. So I don't think you ever like lose it is what I'm saying as far as like you're not connected to it. Because once you've lived that kind of life, especially if you've really lived it, you know, I'm not talking about the people that, you know, tried stripping once or twice or did an amateur night. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when you've actually lived the life. Yeah. Oh, I lived it just yeah, I live I the tell. life. I live. Yeah, I can the tell. Life. I always know. You, what I'm to, to you know, uh, you know, 
<laughs> That's how I met my best friend is I met him and he met me and there was a group of people and uh, my good friend James Palacio, he was on Oz and we both know we looked at each other, we clicked and we both are like, and we call it, we're two queens and queens now. Um <laughs> And uh, yeah. that's just how our life ended. And we do still have that mentality. And people will often, um, I've been in interviews before where people are like, well, why won't you date? Or why do, and I'm like, look, I'm not asexual. I, I'm on a mission here, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. don't mess up my vibe. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like, yeah. And I, you know, I got lucky the other night and um, was talking to two other comics. I won't mention their names because I don't know if they are want to be that open about it. But uh, one of them has done, you know, porn and has an OnlyFans. And then the other one has been a stripper slash escort for a long, you know, for quite a while. And uh, like we were all sitting on the patio of the creek here in Austin and we just had the longest, best. I wish somebody had been recording it because it was just the most open. <laughs> Everybody's being real. Nobody's fudging numbers, you know, because sometimes these you know other oh yeah 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 they do like they... everything's like mm-hmm. you know i make fifty thousand off of this and i make, and it's like girl that's not your everyday life right <laughs> you don't know how it really works yeah every once in a while you get those dream tricks but for the most part <laughs> we're all gonna talk the same number so yeah. let's do it you know what i mean yeah. so we had a really great conversation and even about the not so glamorous parts and the parts where you somewhat feel a little humiliated about something that happened or having to confront your own body issues because of a thing that somebody told you where maybe they thought they were being complimentary, you know, because like one of my friends had admitted that, you know, she's gained quite a bit of weight and a guy was like, you know, uh, fetishizing her for being bigger now. And while he thinks he's being really complimentary because she's not the happiest with the weight she's gained, she's like, having to accept it because he's paying her. But at the same time, she's feeling like, I really want to kill myself right now. <laughs> and we were all laughing. Oh, I know. I know. Relate. I know that feeling because I've had people say, oh, she's thick. She's that. And and I'm like, can you guys quit that? Like, <laughs> no, yeah. I like, call me a skinny bitch and I'm happy. You know, like I'm I'm ecstatic, but don't call me thick. You know what I'm saying? Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I get, it. I get yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Ty, you have been an awesome guest. Can you please tell my audience where they can find you? The best place to find me right now really is YouTube. So if you just search Ty Rivera, Ty is spelled T-H-A-I, like Thailand. So T-H-A-I, Rivera, R-I-V-E-R-A, if you search Ty Rivera on YouTube, all of my stuff will come up. You'll find it. That is literally the best place to find me. If you're going to be in Austin, you know, check me out here. The best place to find out live dates would be my Instagram. That's at official Ty Rivera. And yeah, outside of that, um, you know, people can find me on Twitter. Mm-hmm. They can find me on the other platforms. But th- that's really where I'd say to find me is go to YouTube first. Instagram if you want to see something live you know right and everybody really like if you want to his YouTube is really really good and I just everybody needs to go to his YouTube they need to follow if you want to be educated don't be scared all you know because they're straight men oh I don't want to no you need to go to his YouTube you need to watch some of these videos they're really good I'm really like I'm loving it um 
I really sing praises about you. Um, my name is Marcella Alonzo. You can find me at IG Marcella Sobella, Facebook Marcella Sobella, YouTube Marcella Sobella. Thank you again, Ty, for coming on Sunday Fun Day. Thank you for having me, Marcella. I really did have a good time, and I'm glad we got to have the chat. Yes.